Many of you may be familiar with the name Kitty Genovese, and you may not. Ever heard the name Kitty Genovese? Uh, she was a woman from Queens, New York, who made national headlines back on March 13, 1964, when she was murdered. Why her name got national attention in that time was because of the way her murder happened. Kitty had gotten off of work and driven home, and she had parked in a parking garage about 100 feet from the back entrance of her apartment complex, and she left her car and began to walk to the door when she noticed a man in the shadows, and she began to run toward the main street. He caught up, and he stabbed her twice in the back. She screamed, and he stabbed, he stabbed me. He stabbed me, and the neighbor opened his window and yelled, leave that girl alone, went back to what he was doing, and the attacker left and got his car. She slowly made her way toward the building and collapsed in the doorway, but the attacker went and put on a hat and came back to finish the job. Once again, windows open, people yell, he left, and he came back later to finish the job. It took over 30 minutes in total for her attack, and no one called the police until after she was dead. The lack of willingness to help on the part of her neighbors led to major psychological studies and an overall distrust in American society. It was a modern-day story of neighbors. As we continue our series in parables this week, we're also talking about neighbors. Our parable this week is the parable of the Good Samaritan. A parable so known in our culture that the term Good Samaritan has become common in our language. But, but what did Jesus mean when he told the story? We're going to try to find out this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. And there, as Jesus has been uh, preaching and teaching, he is teaching some things to uh, a crowd that is around him. He has talked to his disciples privately. And then there, in verse 25 of Luke 10, it says, Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your good. Father, use me as the best way the words that I speak be yours and yours. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people say. Amen. This passage starts out innocently enough. None of these things ever start out innocently because they're not trying to be innocent. They're trying to test Jesus. But this lawyer, this expert in Old Testament law, asks Jesus a question. 
Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God. He was talking about a way of life and thinking that was as foreign to the Jews of his day as it could be. It's still foreign to many today. And part of this teaching is the teaching of eternal life. It's a fairly new teaching for most in Jesus' time because the Jews for ages had simply believed you ceased to exist. You went to the place of darkness. When they speak of Sheol in the Old Testament most of the time, they just think it's a place of shadows, the place of the dead, where all go at the end of it. And so here recently you have Pharisees who have popped up and you have Sadducees who have popped up. And the Pharisees, they believe in eternal life and the life after death. And the Sadducees, they don't believe in life after death. You know how to remember that, right? The Pharisees believe in eternal life. They're good. The Sadducees don't. That's why they're sad. You see, there's nothing else afterwards. That's, that's how you remember that. And that thing's important at times. In certain parables, in certain stories, in certain tests of Jesus we find in Scripture, we see an importance there. And so there is this confusion on the part of the teachers of the law. And the lawyer comes to Jesus and he simply says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus being who he is doesn't answer his question. He instead asks another question. As he was an expert in the law. Well, what does the law say? How do you understand it? And of course, the God says, love the Lord your God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, many people are uncomfortable with Jesus' response because he didn't say anything here about having faith in him. He didn't say anything here about having a sinner's prayer. Instead, he gives an action. One thing we can learn here from, from Jesus in this time is that although Jesus fulfilled the commands of the law, that the moral imperatives are still there, the way that we're supposed to act, the things that we're supposed to do. But remember, parables have two purposes, to reveal and to hide. The lawyer's question reveals that he's confused from the start. He's already befuddled. He's asking about eternal life, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The truth is, inheritance is given because of relationship, not activity. What must, I do? what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that question makes no sense on the face of it. I can't do anything to get an inheritance, and inheritance is given to me. An inheritance is something that is given freely from someone else. I can't do anything to grab that. I can't do something to inherit something. I inherit something because of who I am. I inherit something because I'm someone's son, because I'm someone's grandson, because I, I'm someone's friend, because of something else. I inherit because of a relationship. The lawyer is already confused. He is already confused thinking that he has to earn this eternal life. Because under the tenets of the law, you can only receive this life if you keep it perfectly. That's impossible. Love your Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. None of us do that perfectly. None of us get there. But under the tenets of the law, that's what we have to do. Jesus is pointing this out by letting him answer the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're the expert of the law. What does the law say? How do you read it? And the guy says it to him. He says, yes, you've answered correctly. Can you imagine the, the crowd that may have been forming here when this conversation is going on? This is Jesus talking to a teacher of the law. He's asked them a question that everybody's starting to talk about. This is before social media. Social media back then was just a bunch of gossip in a small town. So small towns have been social media for a long time. It used to be party lines, right? You pick up the phone and you just listen to what everybody's saying. 
But what's going on is there's this crowd forming, things are being had, and people are hearing things said. And the lawyer has made this question. Jesus has given him an answer. And then they're probably thinking, now, why would you ask a question to Jesus that you already knew the answer to? Why would you ask that question? What, what's going on? Maybe they're losing a little respect for the guy. So the guy wants to justify himself. He figures being who he is, he probably does the first part well. After all, he's a teacher of the law. But, let's look for the loophole. Exactly, exactly. who is funny? Next door, down the block. they got to be Jewish, right? Because these are all good Jewish people. Certainly, he would have to be ceremonially clean to be my baby. He's asking, what's the least I can do and still be following the law? The, the religious people of Jesus' day were the king of loopholes. They had all sorts of loopholes to make sure they followed the law. Because you could only walk a certain amount of steps on a Sabbath day. And if you walked any more steps than that, guess what? You were working. So therefore you were breaking the Sabbath. So the loophole was, I will get a bag of dirt from my house. And I will tie it on my leg or I'll tie it somewhere on my body. And I will go somewhere because my house is always with me. Therefore, I have never left my home. So therefore, I didn't walk that many steps. Loophole. The king of loopholes. And so he's looking for the loophole. Who is my neighbor? What can I do? You know, if you're looking for the least you can do to please God, you're actually not trying to please God. If you want to know what's the least that I can do to make God happy, that's the problem. Isn't this an attitude that we find ourselves in times? Well, what's the least I can do and still be faithful to God? Is, is reading my Bible twice a week good enough? Is, is going to church every other month good enough? Well, what's the least that I can do and be faithful to God? God, how much do I really have to do? And so he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't give him a direct answer. He gives him a story. He says, a certain man, any guy, certainly a Jew, walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, probably started out like many accounts they've heard before. This is a bad road. If you didn't know the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was bad, it was a place where thieves often were. It was a dangerous path. You didn't travel it alone, but a certain man was traveling alone for some reason. <coughs> and he fell among thieves. The proverbial any man who falls into calamity, he's left for dead. And a priest walks by. The holiest guy in Israel. The guy who goes in to the holy of holies. The guy who goes and does the sacrifices. He can stand in the very presence of God. Surely this man will do what God would ask. And he passes by on the other side. A little bit later, a Levite comes by. Now he's not quite as high up as the priest. He's in the same family though. He has a less holy responsibility. He can do in the temple what the priest can't do. All those things that might make him clean that he could get unclean for. And after all, the priest couldn't afford to get unclean. So these are the duties. But he comes by he passes by on the other side. And then a Samaritan comes by. <laughs> Samaritans are hated by Jews. We know why they're hated. During the time that Israel was gone into exile... The Samaritans are the product of those poor Jews who were left in the country who intermarried with people who were not of Jewish faith. They are looked at as dogs by Jews. 
Samaritans weren't worth anything. There is no way. And so that's what's going on in the minds of the readers or the hearers that Jesus tells this story. These are half-breeds. They're worthless people. The first century equivalent of a racial slur in John 8, they say Jesus is a Samaritan and demon-possessed. Look at the lawyer's response after the parable. He can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Which one was his neighbor? He didn't say, well, the Samaritan. He said, well, the, the one who showed mercy. There's something going on here. The one who, who didn't matter. The one who was unclean. The one whose heritage and religion are questionable at best saw him and had compassion. The Greek word here has a sense of from the bowels, literally a guttural sense of he felt for this person so badly that he stopped and picked him up, bandages him, gives him oil, gives him wine, puts him on his donkey, and takes him to an inn and pays for any expense he may have had. And so Jesus has rocked this lawyer's world. He has turned the story on its head for what it should be. A priest helping a Samaritan is a great story of a great man helping someone who does not deserve it. It will be shouted far and wide, but a Samaritan helping a Jew? Oh, they possibly curse him. Well, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. Let's put this in perspective for us. A certain man was traveling the road from Lapan to Granberry. And it had been raining. And his car got washed off the road in hot water. And a little while later, the pastor of the Baptist church was going to Granbury, but he was in a hurry and he said, I'll pray for him. And he passed by on the other side. And then, a little while later, the youth minister's on his way to Granbury and he said, Well, I got to meet Brother Troy up there in, in Granbury. I better get there. So he passed by on the other side and he said, I, I, I'll call somebody. And a few minutes later, a man who had never been to church, who was known in town, known in town for all the things that he'd done wrong, saw the man, pulled over, helped him ride his car, and then took him into the hospital to get him checked out. Which one was his neighbor? That's the story. That's what Jesus has said to this teacher of the law. He has said this. And, and he's just sitting there going, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. Surely, surely, the priest would stop. There was a study done, a little experiment here about 20 years ago in a seminary. Um, certain individuals were invited to give a speech on this parable on a college campus. And they put somebody in the middle of the campus who had been hurt, who needed help. And all of them passed by on their way to teach on this. Everybody. It's easy to get absorbed with something else. It's easy to see that. The truth about those who pass by is they aren't bad people. They're not evil. We read the story and we go, oh, that priest. But he wasn't evil. He wasn't a bad person. He had lots going through his mind. This man may be unclean. I don't know who this man is. I don't know what's going on. I have responsibilities to do. They each had their reasons they simply made the wrong choice. But the one who stopped can teach us a few things about 
what we're supposed to do, Jesus says, go and do likewise. And the verse is that compassion isn't earned. So often, we want to show compassion to those who meet our qualifications. Because we, we think that somewhere in this, the Bible it says, God helps those who help themselves, and I think that's actually Shakespeare. But. The truth of the matter is, compassion is something that isn't earned. Compassion is something that's a gift that's given from God. We're supposed to be tied into God and have compassion. Because if, if we have to earn compassion, we're all in trouble. The only reason Jesus came, the only reason God sent Jesus, the only reason there was a sacrifice given was because God had compassion on us. That's the only reason it happened. And we didn't earn that compassion. We did everything in the world we could not to earn that compassion. Nothing can earn you compassion. Your family heritage cannot earn you compassion. How religious you are does not earn you compassion. What you have in common with someone does not earn you compassion. Compassion is simply given to those who need it. Compassion is something that you simply have because somebody needs something. That's what the Samaritan did and didn't do. What he did, he took care of his physical needs. He didn't stop and say, hey, who are you? Who are you? Are you a Jew or are you a Samaritan? Who are you? He didn't ask questions. He stopped and he saw a person in need. Sometimes that's hard. In our world, that's hard because there's danger out there that we don't know about. And it's hard because I know that I would never want Carrie to stop on the side of the road for someone in the middle of nowhere. Because there's danger there. But yet then again, I read this and I go, what's the answer? Because there's danger. But he stopped and he didn't, he didn't care who the person was. He helped him. He took care of his physical needs. He showed compassion even to what would be seen as an enemy. This was a Jewish man, a certain man, a Jewish man. He didn't count the cost. <laughs> he didn't say, well, I'm going to send you a bill and this is over. He didn't hand him a track. He didn't say, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? He took care of the man. The secret of the kingdom here is that our neighbor is everyone God places in our path. That's our neighbor. Everyone God places in our path. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Because sometimes we don't like people. I'm, we're being honest. Now, check your head because you know it's true. Sometimes we don't like people. Sometimes there are people that just grade us the wrong way. We, 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 we spend any time with them and we go, oh, goodness. That number comes off of the phone and you go, do I have to answer this? Those people. But our neighbor is everyone who got concerned. I had a blessing here a few weeks ago. Practice school was out for the summer. I was going to Weatherford. That wasn't a blessing, but I was going to Weatherford. Um, and I was out on Old Dennis Road, pretty close to Weatherford. And I saw three young men on the side of the road who are polar opposite of me. They didn't have the same color skin. They didn't wear the same kind of clothes. I could have used some duct tape on some of them. But they were there with a flat tire on the side of the road. And I watched cars passing by as I pulled up, and I pulled over, 
And they, he said, it looked scared to me when I stepped out of the car. I wonder why. Um, I stepped out and I said, do you, I said, do you need any help? And they said, well, do you have a jack? I said, sure I do. And I got out of the car and they went. And uh, I took up my jack and they were like, but I had this key on, my, on one of my leg nuts and I can't get it off. Well, just so happened that one leg knot was the exact same size as my car's leg knot. And so we got that off and they got so excited. They said, man. Never had this happen before. I graduated last week, and I didn't have to call Mama to come help me. But, but we were neighbors. In that moment, we couldn't have been more different. People were driving by, looking, going, "What's that big white dude sitting there with them for?" I mean, you know, they were they were looking at us all strange because we were in the middle of nowhere. They were my neighbors. And by the time we finished, they were, I was their neighbor, and they knew it. And we walked away with a relationship of sorts. I may never see them again. But they'll always talk about the big bearded black guy who's talking on the side of the road to help Because we talked. And I didn't say, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? But I did say, God bless you. I did say, I have a blessed day. I was blessed by, by an experience to, to meet someone. You never know where your neighbor's going to be. But you know, also the scope of our love should not end in our comfort zone. <laughs> God, I don't want to love them. I don't want to love them. I don't want to love that person who's mean and spiteful and hateful and has to have their way. I don't want to love them. I don't want to be around them. God, I'm okay loving people who, who are like me, who live where I live and have a connection with them, but I can't love that person I've never met. I remember we were talking in Bible study one was Wednesday night, mine was Wednesday night, about the places we'd lived. And Mama's address, Mama and Papa's address, before Papa died, was 3015 Northwest 30th. I've known that for my entire life. She hasn't lived there in 31 years. <laughs> her, her phone number was 624-0993. I mean, you know, I know her phone number. And at that point, that was the worst side of town that you could ever imagine. I was I was a minority in elementary school. My mom wanted me to go to her elementary school. And uh, all my friends were, were Hispanic or Asian or African American, all of them. <laughs> I remember I can count on one hand the, the, the people who looked like me in school. So when I moved somewhere else and people looked like me, I was out of water, I felt like. I didn't know how to be. I didn't know how to be their neighbor. I didn't know how to love people who look like me at times. I still have that problem. I'm, I'm I don't know how to am I a reverse racist? I don't know. Um, sometimes it's it's hard for me to love people. 
who I know are squandering things that they don't need to squander. Some of my, some of my best relationships and he could talk to the pulpit committee about one of my best relationships. Miss Ethel. She is... <laughs> I mean, I, I can hear her voice in the back of my head. If, if I need to smile, I just have to stop and think about Miss Ethel's voice. Because she just, she just loved you. There was a relationship there. Here, five months ago, I went back. I went back to, to Rankin to do a funeral for Miss Mary, who, you know, she was the Rankin equivalent of Miss Ethel. And those relationships are so real. But I was comfortable in those. I might not be as comfortable with somebody else. This love, the scope of your love should not end at your comfort zone. Maybe there's somebody that God is pushing you to love. And you're going, God, I don't know how. I don't know their need. I don't know where they're at. Have you asked? It's amazing how, how doors open when we just ask. If we only love people that we're comfortable with, we're not really accomplishing much. If I only love my family, I'm not accomplishing much. If I only love the people in my church, I'm not accomplishing much. <clears throat> I should love people that I'm not comfortable with. So, so when that person comes to me who's living that life that, that I have, I have, I just can't imagine. I can't. I'm in love. I saw love last night at a wrestling show. They're laughing at me, but it's true. We went to wrestling last night. It's not wrestling. It's wrestling, right? It's a, it's wrestling. And yeah, Spocky, you went. I know. And there at the end of the show, they had a raffle. We didn't buy any tickets. And Charlotte was mad at me because we didn't buy any tickets. And uh, this other man who doesn't lead the same life that I lead, <laughs> the Samaritan type man, had bought up a whole bunch of tickets. And they started doing a raffle draw. And he won the first one. And he won the second. <laughs> and then he won the third one. And by the time he won the third one, we were sitting here, and I was here, and Shiloh was here, and Micah was here, and he was standing right here. And he said, but I want that third one to go to this young man right here. And gave the prize to Shiloh. We were from different worlds, but the scope of his love was broad. And it taught me something last night. It taught me something about people who were different than me. Because they love in a capacity sometimes that we miss. But also, when giving compassion to those God leads us to, we can't count the cost. We can't sit there and go, well, I can't do this. If God's called you to do it, He's going to provide for you the way to get it done. Amen. He, he's, he's not going to He's not going to hang you out to dry. If He said you need to take care of this person, He's not going to sit there and let you go, oh no, now I can't make it. He's going to let you make it. He's called you to something. We can't count the cost. We can't stop. If we never help someone because we're always in a hurry, we've missed a blessing somewhere. You never know when you're going to find your next blessing. 2014. 
We were, I was sitting in my office at the church in Chillicott. And I got a phone call from up at Allsop's. <laughs> and there was a man there by the name of Greg Bowman. He's now the pastor over here at First Baptist Brock. At that point, he was the youth minister at Duncanville First Baptist. And they had three busloads of kids. They were on their way to Gloria, New Mexico for camp with, and the bus had broken down. And he called and he said, we have nowhere to put these kids. Is there anything you can do? And so I went and I turned the air conditioners on at the church, and we brought them to the church, and let them be at the church all day long. That next April, he gives me a call. And he says, we have a youth choir. And one of their side ministries is, they also do BBS. Is there any possibility that we can come to your church this year and do BBS for y'all? And also put on concerts at churches around in the area of the, of the thing we're going to do? All because we answered the phone and said yes and opened our doors to someone on the side of the road. We cannot count the cost when we're giving compassion to someone. Because it would be easy, it would have been easy to say, well, how long are y'all going to be there? What's this going to cost us? I don't know if we had that in the budget. We said no. We opened the doors. We come on in, we turn the air conditioners down. <laughs> it was the middle of July, and it was 116 degrees outside, and it was hot. They were going to sell that bus load. Yes, come down here. Can you get them down here? We found them way down there and put them in there. We could have cut the cost. But when we do that, we miss something. When we're, so, when we're so concerned about the numbers, we miss something that God has for us. Now, I'm not saying we're stupid. There's a difference between being stupid and being, pre being consumed. God doesn't say do things that you know you can't do. He says do things that I've called you to do. Now, there were two secrets here. He defines your neighbor as anyone that you come into contact with. But he also says, you got to move past your comfort zone. You know, as as I look at our world today, I think this might be the most important parable Jesus teaches. There's a lot of hate out there. There's a lot of people who it's hard to love. But God says love them anyway. And sometimes love them means keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> if I'm being honest. You know, the, the, my most used key on my computer keyboard is backspace. <laughs> if somebody will say something, I'll type out this whole thing and then I'll go. And just take it all back. Because God says, no, don't say that. That's not love. Maybe this morning you have been struggling with this neighbor idea. Maybe there are people around you that you're just like, I can't anymore. Now's the time to give it to God and say, okay, God, whoever you put in my path, I'm going to love because you said whoever's in my path is my neighbor. 
Maybe this morning you have been you've been the most loving person in the world, but you've only been loving people that you're comfortable loving. Sometimes sometimes love means cleaning up the pukes of mama doesn't have. Not just baby. I mean, you know, that there, there are things that, that we think we should never have to do, but sometimes it means doing those things that make me uncomfortable. That's love. Maybe this morning you have some other need completely. Maybe you want to surrender to ministry. Maybe you want to surrender to missions. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to know Jesus this morning. Maybe you want to know the one who can who can be the permanent fix in your life. Who can be the permanent father who gives you salvation and allows you to be with him for eternity. If you don't know Jesus, now's the time you walk down and say, I want to know Jesus. It's that easy and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him with your prayer. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessing.